Hello, everybody. Today, we are talking about how to get your art into a gallery. If you would like to grow as an artist and you can't afford an art class, we've got everything you need here at Art Prof, critiques, tutorials, and professional development. The main thing to understand about trying to get your art into a gallery, unsolicited submissions, they don't work. A lot of people will try to send an introductory email. Maybe they'll send a packet with hard copy printouts. None of that works. I don't know a single instance of an artist approaching a gallery in that way and having it go anywhere. You're pretty much going to get ignored. This is not the way to go about it. It's a waste of your time. Scratch that off. Now that's super frustrating because if you can't connect with them by showing them your work, how does that function? And really all this stuff about galleries, it's all a shot in the dark. You don't know what's gonna work. You just have to keep trying different ways to make that initial connection. And then even if you make that connection, you don't even know if it's gonna go anywhere. By the way, Lauren's not here today. She's in Toronto. I'm sorry for the mix up. You're stuck with me today. The vast majority of the time, gallery connections are made by a personal connection. That is pretty much the way it happens. Now that's again, very frustrating because if you don't have friends that show with art galleries, most people do not, it is not easy. And even if you do have personal friends who show in galleries, Lana Z. Kaplan, who is one of my colleagues from a long time ago, she shows with Gallery Naga. But it's not always comfortable to say to your friend, hey, can you introduce me to your gallery? It can get awkward. The only time that it's really worked for me is when my friend said, hey, I'll introduce you to this gallery director. That has happened to me. And it was great because the director just said, okay, let's make a studio visit. It was so effortless because my friend made that introduction. It's not common for me to ask a friend to introduce me. It just, even if it's somebody I know very well, it's still awkward and it makes you feel like your hands are tied. So, okay, I'm supposed to have a friend <laughs> that shows in a gallery and they have to offer to me to show. I'm not saying you can't ask. It depends on your relationship with the artist, but the vast majority of the time, I'm just uncomfortable doing that. For example, the one time I showed at a New York City gallery, Mark Miller, you can see my work here in the front. This was, again, my friend who said, hey, I'm going to be in this show. Do you want to be in it? It's like, sure. That was easy. <laughs> like I didn't have to do anything. It's like night and day. It's extremely hard for a lot of people. This is a great point from Lisa. Joining art clubs, leagues, co-ops seems like a good entry point. Absolutely. Because those casual acquaintances, sometimes they're more helpful than your really close friends who are artists. Because you don't feel as invested. If I ask my friend and I know them very well, it can get very awkward because they may feel uncomfortable. 
And these cursory interactions are sometimes a lot better. Seven Angelic just summed it up. It's all about who you know. And if you research people who are showing in galleries, you're going to find a lot of connections. I know somebody who's married to a major art dealer who I went to school with. Hmm, there are a lot of shows. <laughs> it's like that's not an accident. And so oftentimes there is sometimes this assumption that, oh, they're in the gallery because they're really good, because they're a great artist. They're in a gallery. And sometimes that is true. But actually, if you do your research, 95% of the time is because their dad is childhood friends with this art dealer. It often is not about how good the work you are, work is. This is another good point from Anna. I way prefer showing at galleries rather than by myself because you get to put together a real exhibition. Oh my gosh, when I've had solo shows, it freaks me out more <laughs> because in a group show, this is a group show that I had at Lesley University, it was 10 of us. We were printmakers. You know you're going to get a good crowd at the opening. But if it's just you, <laughs> I was so freaked. I was like, no one's going to come. I'm going to look like a big loser. And so those group shows, you got to start there. Don't aim super high. Don't say, I've never shown before. I'm going to show at the top gallery in New York in a solo exhibition. That, that's not how you begin. So one of the things that I tell people, start local. Now, again, that depends on where you live. You may not live in a place where there are many art galleries, but if you do live near any gallery that's within a reasonable distance, it's good to start there because there are advantages to showing in local galleries that you won't get if you're trying to pursue a gallery that's on the other side of the country. You certainly can, but it's a lot harder because you can't walk in and talk to the curator. You can't have a studio visit, which is usually how galleries determine if they want to give you a show or not. Lady Komodo says, I live in Norway. Most galleries here prefer to show artists that have a master's. Feels like I got a door in my face before even entering. Depends on the gallery. I don't know the gallery scene in Norway. Some places care if you have an MFA, others don't. It's such a crapshoot. It's very frustrating. Go to openings. This is why the local gallery experience is worth it. And even if it's a gallery you're not interested in, just go to the openings just to get a feeling for, okay, what is an art opening like? Brush up on some of your conversational skills. This is a really good exercise because you don't have to go to the opening and get something done. For example, one thing that I recommend to people, go to any opening, doesn't even matter if you're interested, and just lurk. Hang out. Don't feel the pressure to talk to anybody. Observe how people interact. Find the gallery director. You can usually do that if you walk around, <laughs> you eavesdrop on conversations. Usually you can figure out, okay, who's the artist? Who's the gallery director? Maybe there's a curator there. It depends on the gallery. But that can be very helpful because the thing about gallery openings, I know they freak out a lot of people. I don't like them either. They're ugh, so awkward. But you have to do it. Being in a gallery, that personal connection in 
person is so much more impactful than anything you could ever do over email, over Instagram. It's 10 times the punch. And so while this may feel extremely awkward and really unpleasant, this is where you make connections. And I've done this before where I've been to maybe a talk or gallery opening. Like there was one time I had just had a studio visit with a curator and I knew they were going to be <laughs> at this opening. And so I went there as a follow-up because then I said, oh, hey, we just had a studio visit. Hey, <laughs> you could definitely do that. Sonnet says, is it all who you know, or is there a fairly simple application process? There is no application process. I don't know any gallery that has an application form for you to fill out and submit. A jury show is different, okay? That's where a gallery or nonprofit organization, they have a juror that they pay to jury a group show. And I've done those before. And to be honest, when I've juried those, I just get the job done. I'm not looking for artists when I'm jurying shows. I'm not in that mindset because when you jury a show, oh my God, I had one jury. I had, I think, 300 artworks to look at in person. I had to pick 20. When you have to do something like that, it's really hard to even think, oh, this is a great artist. Maybe I want to connect with them. You're not thinking about that when you're a juror. When you go to an opening and you are feeling confident about making some personal connection, start a conversation, but ask people about themselves. This is the best trick because if you go up to somebody, oh, hi, I'm some person. This is awkward. Like that is not fun. Okay. But if you say meet Lauren at an exhibition, you say, oh, I love your work. What type of paint are you using? Can you tell me about the surface you paint on? Lauren's going to have an answer for you and she's going to keep talking. I think the awkward thing is when you don't engage with the person and it's just this awkward, hi, want to get to know you like that. That's not cool. Start with that. And also don't ask for anything. People often will say to me, oh, should I talk to this artist for help with PR? And I actually said this to a former student the other day. I'm like, no, you don't start with the ask. You get to know them. It takes time. And then maybe if you're comfortable, you ask. But even then, like I said, a lot of my friends, I'm not comfortable asking them that type of thing. Yes, Seven Angelic, always be polite and nice. If you're a jerk, people will remember that. I have a list in my head. <laughs> I've got a professional blacklist of people who, number one, never said thank you, people who are demanding, and people who were just a pain in the butt to work with. And you know something else? In addition to having that list in my head, I tell other people. I say, oh, this person's a pain in the butt. That's not <laughs> kind of advertising. And you think it would not be that hard to not be a jerk, but apparently it is for some people. <laughs> Great story from Anna. I've been courting a gallery for three years ever since I met the director in an open studio for a year-long fellowship I was in. Due to the pandemic, it's taken a long time to get the studio visit. Oh, the pandemic just 
flipped everything upside down, but it can take that long. People think, oh, I'll meet the person and ask them for a show and I'll get it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Sometimes these relationships take a long time and other times they go nowhere. I had this one curator at a regional museum. This is not an exaggeration. I had three studio visits with her. The first one, I was so stoked, but you don't have expectations. The second one, you're like, okay, they're interested. Third one, you're like, come on. <laughs> and you know something? It never resulted in anything. And that's frustrating because you just have no idea. The only way to do it is to keep trying different things, keep following through, and it's exhausting. How many people here want to show in a gallery? How many people have shown in the gallery? Tell us your stories because I think hearing about how other people have approached this is extremely helpful. And then you realize, oh, I'm not the outlier for somebody who has been trying and trying for so long and not gotten many results. I mean, in some ways, the studio visit is painful because the studio visit is the step right before they're about to offer you a show or offer representation or something like that. And I've had so many studio visits, like did not work out. And I just was so sad. You're so close. <laughs> you just don't get it. Another thing, if you want to show the gallery, you got to find the right fit. This is the number one mistake that I see all artists doing across the board, regardless of the type of work that they're doing. And I was a gallery director for four years at the gallery at Wellesley College. Not the same thing as a commercial gallery, obviously, but I know what it's like to work with artists. I know what it's like to get unsolicited submissions. And oh my gosh, I don't think a single unsolicited submission I got was somebody who actually knew what the gallery did because we didn't sell work. We were a gallery that was a part of an academic department, art history and studio art at Wellesley College. We didn't sell stuff. And people would send me stuff. I'm like, you have no idea what our gallery is. You never even Googled us. Because if you looked at the website, you would know within two seconds that it was not a right fit. This is a gallery in New York City. It's called Forum Gallery. Now, if you look at their artist roster, you're going to notice there's a lot of things that are common. Number one, all the artists who show at Forum Gallery, they're figurative artists. These are portraits, they're figure paintings. And on top of that, they're all fairly realistic looking. If you're an abstract painter, don't send anything to this gallery. They're not interested in abstract work. And a lot of artists, they just don't take the time to look at that. Anna, thank you so much for the super chat. And Anna says, actually, I love solo shows and making site-specific installations and really designing a whole experience. Oh, that is the greatest thing. I've never done that before, but I do have friends who have done on-site work, whether it's at an outdoor space or an indoor gallery. That, that is a very exciting opportunity to have. Pat says, I feel like there are different tiers and definitions of galleries. Is there a specific line that separates a capital G gallery from an extension of a hotel lobby or public library? Oh yeah. I mean, the public library, they don't have a curator or if they have somebody who's running it, which they usually do, 
somebody who handles the shows at a library. They don't have a PhD in art history. They are not on the New York City scene. And so a lot of it has to do with, okay, who are the people that are running the gallery? And it depends. There are some people, they just are in the art world and they're dealers and they've done that. I know other people who are art historians, maybe they have that background, but they switched over to being a gallery director or curator. It really, really depends. But usually the way you can tell is if you look up the artists that show at the galleries, you look at their resumes, okay? If you look at John Curran, he's the creme de la creme of the capital A art world, okay? He's showing at places like Gagosian. Gagosian is a huge, like, blockbuster international New York City gallery. I would not start with them. That's not going to happen. There are places like Luring Augustine I'm showing you now. This is a Chelsea gallery in New York City, and this is more one of the top tier galleries, but it's not Gagosian. So a lot of this is research. Now, if you look at an artist who is showing at a local library, you look at their CV, they're not going to have likely a seven-page history of all these galleries. They probably haven't won multiple fellowships and awards because people who have those types of resumes are showing at higher tier galleries. But yeah, that's a really good point, Pat, that, oh my gosh, the world is so big. And so much of this is research. If you don't know who you're applying to, this is a gallery in Boston called Vose Galleries, okay? This is a super traditional Boston old school gallery, okay? And this gallery, if you go there, and this is why it's important to go there, it is not a white cube gallery. It looks like a miniature version of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, which is basically Isabella Stewart Gardner's home, which was this like, castle with beautiful antique furniture. That's what those galleries looks like. And if you don't fit, that look, it doesn't work. Like Lauren, who's so hip and cool, she would not fit here. Not because she's not a good artist, but because she's not Boston old school traditional gallery. Dr. Anasuya says, any specific criteria of the canvas type and size that expected by the public library art exhibit? Some public libraries, they might have limits as far as, well, first of all, the space, there's always that going on. I don't know that I've ever heard of something that specific. The answer to all these things is it depends. Every gallery is unique and you really can't anticipate anything, which is again, why you do your research. Like I will read the specifications and if I look at the space, I go to the library, I'm like, this doesn't look good. I won't do it. Showing anywhere, is not always a good investment of your time and it might even be a waste of your time. And you have to consider that because doing a gallery show is a ton of work. Like When I've had solo exhibitions, number one, I always went broke from all the framing. And number two, it's a crazy amount of work. Doing the promotion, getting the work ready, to work with the curator, make sure that they have the pieces they want to go to the price. It's a huge time commitment. And so it may not be something that you actually want to do. 
Leslie says, got a couple of pieces in an annual student show at a local gallery. Turns out the student's work was also being shown with professionals and everyone was treated the same. Yeah, it really, really depends. There are some places that only students can't be a student, have to be a student in Illinois. <laughs> you have to really look at all of those differences. Lady Kimono says having social anxiety, this sounds so hard, but I bet it's easier to start just trying to be comfortable in the space. Here's the thing. If you want to show at a gallery, you have to get used to openings because here's the thing. Let's say you get the show. Guess what you're going to have to do? You have to go to your own opening. It's so stressful. And I understand going to openings is oh, hard. I don't enjoy it. And you know something? This is my confession. This is what an idiot I was. And this is an example of how probably a lot of all of you feel. The first couple of group exhibitions I was in, and those are the easy ones to attend because it's a bigger group and you can mingle better when it's a solo show, it's worse. And I didn't go to the opening because I was too freaked out. I, I couldn't do it. And so I understand how you all feel. But the thing is, once you start doing it, it does get easier. I've been to many openings now. It doesn't freak me out like it used to. And I know how to navigate the crowd. Another thing, use Instagram as research. People oftentimes think that Instagram is about, oh, getting likes and followers. Instagram is so good for figuring out, as Pat said, top tier, middle tier, whatever gallery. This is what I recommend. Find the galleries that you're interested in. <coughs> follow them on Instagram. Because number one, you'll get to know them better. You'll know what types of artworks they show. Let's say you follow Luring Augustine. You say, oh yeah, I totally want to show in this gallery. You follow them for a few months and you're like, this is not work that's like mine. Actually, I don't think it's a good fit. And this is really the way to do it because most of the time galleries will update their website when there's a new show, but there's so much more information on Instagram compared to their websites which tend to be very sparse. For example, if you look at some of these galleries, you might see a video, a casual shot of the artist talking to somebody. You'd never get that on a website. And so this is really worth it. Derek Miller says, does the quote, who you know aspect for galleries and curators I have to do with establishing trust with artists is it about mitigating the risk of working with someone completely unknown. I mean, you're gonna have to work with people you don't know. That's gonna happen. If you wanna make any progress in this area, you can't always work with people you know. In fact, most of the time you can't. <laughs> I mean, if I could work with people I liked all the time, oh man, I would really like that. <laughs> and I don't think it's as much about establishing trust. It's real relationships. Remember when we used to do that before social media? You have to do that. When people ask me for favors, I get annoyed because they'll write me this really long thing. Help me with this. I need help with it. And I'm like, why would I help you with that? I don't know who you are. I'm not invested in you as an artist. And for me, I would like to help them. I can't. If I did that, I would not sleep ever. And so you have to build that relationship. I was talking to another artist this week 
And they said to me, those relationships, the, the good close ones, those are the ones that are going to matter. And you can do that online. There are artists I've met online who I wouldn't consider them to be like close friends, but I know them well enough that I could ask them a question and not feel like it's an imposition. It's when I get these like random things from no, people, I have no idea who they are, that that is frustrating. Christy's asking, what happens in a studio visit? The curator, dealer, whoever, they'll come to your studio and you have no idea what they're going to say. I had this horrible studio visit where the curator came and she barely said a word. She was not talkative. Instead, she had this notebook and I was talking, she just write in her notebook. I mean, it was, so, it was horrible. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? And so I just kept talking because I didn't want it to be silent. Oh, I was just the worst. And then I've had this other curator who came and she acted all enthusiastic. And she even said, oh, we have this one space that I think would be really good. And nothing happened. So the thing about the Steve is you have no idea. I know Lauren told me she had a studio visit at one point where it was just like really intense. <laughs> it was like engagement. I haven't had a visit like that before. I've had other curators who are just really chill, not a big deal. You have no idea. It, it's something you, you just have to deal with. <laughs> Anna says, I hate when people ask stupid questions about my work if I'm showing then the mediums and sizes are listed on the works list. Ask questions about content and info you can't find, obviously. Yeah. Oh my God. It gets so annoying. It's like, really? You, you couldn't just look that up? It's right there in front of you. And even then people can't really do it. The other thing about Instagram, you can foster a connection through thoughtful comments on Instagram. Lauren, I think, knew some artist who, because she, they were following the gallery on Instagram and was doing it consistently over time, did make a connection. That is not something that happens in two weeks. It took months. Sometimes, as Anna said, it takes years. Okay. But look at the difference. The next time you comment on Instagram, look at the comment and ask yourself, if I got that comment on Instagram, would I bother to look at that person and who they are? there's all these comments here. They're just emojis. Am I going to bother to click on any of these people's profiles? No way. I don't care. It's just a heart. Like, what's the big, I mean, it's nice. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but me following through, I'm not going to do that. Okay. But here's the thing. If I get a comment like this, which is thoughtful, it's significant. I know the person is writing to me and it's not some generic, Hey, nice, cool work. I'm going to read this and I'm going to note, okay, that person wrote something really nice and thoughtful. Let's say that person does that fairly regularly. At some point, I'm going to tap on their profile and go, oh, who is this person? I don't do it all the time, but I'm just saying these people who write, cool, I'm not going to look at their profile. And so that is a really good way to get yourself to stick out. The other thing you can do using Instagram as research, follow curators and art critics, because this is another way to learn about the art world. Now, it depends on where you are. 
and what you're trying to target. For example, this is Roberta Smith. She's the co-chief art critic at the New York Times. And because she's the critic at the New York Times, she's all over New York City. She's going to all the shows, all the museum retrospectives. And so if you want to be a fly on the wall to the New York City art scene, I would follow Roberta Smith. Now, on top of that, I would look at who she's following because she likely follows other people that are similar to her who are on the radar in the New York art scene. This takes time because <laughs> you have to look at who she follows, what they're doing. I mean, it's a lot of work to do this, but this is the way to do it. If you have no idea what that scene is like, do it like this because this is the most effective way, in my opinion. There's no website that's going to give you this information. By the way, we have some super stickers, one from Arby Dick, one from Derek Miller. Thank you so much for your support. Keep those super stickers coming. They are incredibly important to us. We need all the help we can get. Rock is asking, hello from France, how do you select a gallery to go to and present yourself when you have no experience or recognition at all? 39 strongly want to go full time. You have to do a lot. Like if you don't know where to start, you got to start here. Like I would look at local galleries. Okay. Start there and then maybe expand to a place that's an hour drive away or something. Just start local. Okay. Because if you try to tackle the whole art world, you're going to die. <laughs> it's just, it's too gigantic. It's really, really difficult to do. Mark says, I'm a Palestinian artist out of Bethlehem. Sadly, here we have only one gallery. They don't have a certain style in the work. They choose to display anything from abstract to realistic work. Any tips? All right. Well, if that gallery is not a good fit for you, what you could do is maybe find a gallery that's a little bit further away. That's not 10 hours away, but maybe one that's an hour away or something like that. But stay on Instagram because the thing is a lot of people who are asking about, well, how do I do this? It's because you haven't done your research. That's why you don't know what to do. Okay. Cause you can't go to an opening until you know what you're trying to do. And so I would just say everybody here who doesn't know how to get started, do the Instagram research first, then you'll sort of know what you're doing. And then you can make a game plan. This takes time. When I talk about building strong relationships, I'm not talking months, I'm talking years. A lot of the artists who I have helped in the past, who have helped me, they're people I know. Lauren, who you know, who's a teaching artist, I've known her for, oh my gosh, at least, I can't believe this, I've known her since 2010. So I've known Lauren for 12 years. She is somebody I will bend over backwards to help out. She's somebody who I will post on Instagram and say, hey, go see her show. She's fabulous. But <clears throat> Lauren and I, <clears throat> excuse me, we've worked together for so long. <clears throat> Sorry, rocking my throat. She's not somebody who I hesitate. Other people, I do. I just say, Ugh, I don't have time. I'm sorry. I wish I could. It's just not practical. 
Anna says, had three solo shows in a Bushwick gallery closed because of COVID. Oh, so many galleries closed because of the pandemic. Anna says, I didn't sell much, but got reviewed and hyperallergic, which by the way, is an online publication and they're fantastic. That's another thing you can do is you can read online publications like the Brooklyn Rail, Hyperallergic, Artnet. We actually have a list on artprof.org if you want to find it. Just type in art publications into the search bar. Lots of measures of success and just getting the show is a coup. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Getting a review. That's a pretty big deal. Other times it's, I had a show and look, I got another line in my resume. <laughs> it's kind of annoying, but it depends. Follow artists who have similar work. For example, if you are a painter and you work fairly large and you have very colorful work with patterns and figures, you probably want to follow Lauren. In fact, you could stock <laughs> Lauren's gallery listing on her CV and go, oh, I'm going to try those galleries. I've done that. And it works because <laughs> it's like usually they don't have top tier galleries that are really hard to get into in the earlier part of their CV. So if you were to look at somebody's CV and you look at, okay, their very first shows, those are not going to be big powerhouse art galleries. They're going to be more accessible. So that's another way to do your research. Sentient Charcoal says, I have no idea how a typical studio visit works. Do people without actual studio spaces, home studios ever get them? I did. <laughs> I never had a studio space. And so all of my studio visits were in my home. And that's fine. Don't worry about it. It's really not a big deal. Mark says, I've shown my work once, but they said they're looking for something else. I asked like what? And they didn't expand on it. You're not going to get a lot of close, direct answers. It's really frustrating. I know sometimes people complain a lot about, oh, I didn't get any feedback. You're going to get stuff that's just useless. I had a studio visit with somebody and I showed them this big sculpture installation that I had made. You know what their reaction was? I don't care for this. That's it. Nothing else. I was just like, are you serious? And I wasn't going to stand there and say, well, why? Like, it's just like really awkward. So if you want feedback, directors, and this is not the way to actually do that. Marmer says, taking part in my first art show next week on Thursday. Wish me luck. Well, congratulations, Mar. That is fantastic. I'm so happy that that happened. Ado says, we had an art show recently. It's part of our university graduation. It was crazy painting the walls, adjusting the space, hanging the paintings. We were there for 20 hours minimum. Oh my gosh, people have no idea what goes into installing a gallery show. I know because I was a gallery director and I installed all kinds of shows. It is so hard. And once you've done that, you will never look at a museum exhibition the same ever again. Because I wasn't even doing high-end work and it was taking absolutely forever. Tip I got from another artist says Lady Kimono about artists being scared of being weird. Artists are kind of expected to be weird. Not with this stuff. You're expected to be professional. You might be kooky and that's fine. But as a gallery director, oh my gosh, I worked with some artists who drove me bats. They were so unprofessional. And I had this one artist who was having a show, their very first show. Okay. And they said, so when are we going to schedule the interview with WBUR, 
which was the NPR station in Boston. I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so it, it's annoying when you deal with artists like that, because when you're organizing a show, it is all about getting things done. You don't want to deal with some romantic quirkiness. You just need the freaking CV. <laughs> Sonnet, thank you so much for the super sticker. And also from Amanda Norris, you are all so wonderful. Keep it coming. Those super stickers are such a huge <coughs> help with what's going on. Jazz says, how do you become a gallery director? It depends. I was a gallery director, but only as a peripheral job to being faculty. That's different, okay? But some gallery directors, sometimes it's your family. I knew somebody in Boston who was an art dealer. Her mother opened an art gallery decades ago and then passed it on to her daughter. Other people get into it by personal connections. Other people have curatorial experience. It varies. There's no checklist for how to become a gallery director. Yeah, Lisa says the main goal of the gallery is to sell their target customers. Your work may not suit even if the gallery manager personally likes your pieces. But again, it depends on the gallery. If you show at a co-op gallery, that's a community thing. That doesn't really have a lot to do with sales. The other places where sell, 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 and that's all they care about. So it really, really depends. Well, this is good. Mara Mare says, I'm worried as I'll get out, but I got plenty of stuff to sell and show. Yeah, that's a good start. You need the work to begin with, a substantial amount, and then you got to do the research and then you got to make a game plan. I mean, you're not going to have time to sleep. No, I'm just kidding. It takes time. It's just not a, a quick solution. Now, here's the thing I want people to remember, though. If your goal is to sell your artwork, a brick and mortar gallery may not actually be a good fit. People make the assumption that it is, okay? Because that is the older model of how artists sold their work. But I spoke to a very well-established artist this week. They said that they just ended a relationship with a gallery. They've been there for years and years and years, but the gallery did not do much for them. They didn't really push the sales. You'd think that they would, but they didn't. And this artist did not make a lot of money over the long period of time. They said that when they started showing their work in an online store and selling it there, they had something ridiculous, like 30 times the number of sales. And so if it's really about income, selling online is much more effective for a lot of people as far as an entry point. Because the thing is to get to a point where a gallery is actually having your work on exhibition and selling it, that is so long to get to that point. And even then, if you're showing at a gallery, most exhibitions are only a month. And even if the gallery loves you to death, you're not gonna be on display 12 months a year. No, for most galleries, tops, you'll have one solo exhibition a year. Usually it's less than that. And yeah, technically your work will be in their inventory if you have representation, but the thing is, the act of selling, it's not really that active unless you're having a show that's on display. I could put a bunch of pieces online for sale today, and I could start selling immediately. 
now that's not that easy either. <laughs> There's all that promotional crap you have to do. But what I'm saying is the entry point to selling at a gallery, it's so much higher than online sales and may not even be as effective. So consider that this is not the only way to do it. I, I think that with the internet, it's a whole different ball game. Jota says, to be honest, I had a bad relationship <clears throat> with the art curator because he was more interested in selling stuff and I had my priority on showing qualitative good works. Oh, I <laughs> got to do a fight with the gallery director. I was really young and stupid and oh, that was not fun. I, I, should, I shouldn't have done that. I was just being a brat, but there are going to be some jerks. Not everybody in the gallery world is nice, and a lot of them do not have your best interests in their mind, and a lot of it's not fun. So I would just be prepared for a lot of disappointment, frustration. If you get a really good relationship with a dealer or director, that is extremely rare. It takes a long time to find a relationship like that. Yeah, Liana says, it's really like finding a good partner or working relationship. That's what it is. This is relationships. You have to have real relationships if you wanna work with a gallery. It's not the same thing as an online store where you can take sort of a step back. Like you don't have to have a relationship with somebody for them to buy your work online. That is not difficult. But with a gallery, you you have to get to know them extremely well. Jota says, already had an exhibition in an art gallery. The people came to me because my work was good, but I also did a lot of networking before, during, and after the show. Oh, you <laughs> have no idea. Oh my gosh. I think 80% of my time is promotion. I've had days where I didn't produce a single piece of content and it was just me doing social media, putting work together. It's an absurd amount of work. And a lot of people don't realize that. This is another thing to understand. Anna says, Roberta Smith and Jerry Saltz are not going to follow you back unless someone you know sends them your way. Yeah, why would they? I mean, <laughs> do you know how many artists would like to connect with Jerry Saltz and Roberta Smith, who wouldn't? And they're probably overflowed with people bugging them all day. I can't imagine. I don't even have that big of a following and I have that. So I would really consider that it's hard to get people's attention. And that's why I'm saying a thoughtful comment goes a long way. And you can't just write one, you have to write them regularly so people start to notice you after a while. Chocolate Cat says, any red flags that show the director dealer does not have your best interest in mind. If they don't listen to you, if they just brush you off and say, nope, we're doing it like this, there's no flexibility, that's usually a bad sign. Sonnet says, how do you know you're gallery ready? Probably when you have work that you know how you're going to display, it sounds like such a simple thing, but framing or not framing how to hang your work is a lot of 
thought you have to put into every single show that I've been in. I have to think about, okay, what is the framing hardware? Am I going to frame it? What is the lighting? You have to go through all these different things. So you have to know that you have to have all your stuff ready to have an artist statement, your curriculum vitae, have a price list. Although sometimes you have to work with the gallery on that, but watch this stream where we talk about these are all the things you need to have lined up to have a show because it's a lot. And probably you want enough work that say if it's a group show and you have one piece in there and somebody finds it, oh my God, I love your work. Do you have more? And if the answer is nope, you're not gallery ready. You want to be able to say, oh yes, I do have more. Here it is. And for a lot of people, you probably want 20 artworks that are finished you know how to frame them and also that they're cohesive they're related so if somebody looks at your website it's not a still life a portrait graphic design animate like you don't want that okay you can't be scatterbrained in that way you have to have something that's cohesive that's a specific vision or maybe you have multiple bodies of work that are related on their own it's less about are you a good artist are you ready to sell because is your work good enough it's not about that it's actually about having all those things lined up and having the work in a professional format that's the most important thing curriculum vitae jazz it's similar to a resume but the thing is not used for jobs most of the time for example, my curriculum vitae, it lists all the lectures I've done, fellowships I've won. It's a full listing of all of my gallery shows. It's everything I've ever done professionally as an artist. Mine is really long. It's seven pages. Okay. I would never send that for a job. If I'm trying to get a job at a company, I'm not going to send them my seven page CV. I'll probably send them a shorter version. That's maybe two pages, but you do need a curriculum vitae. And actually we do have a stream on how to write a curriculum vitae that all of you can check out. This is the other stream I highly recommend, which is budget ideas for how to frame your art, because this is a whole other <laughs> world of work and you can't do this by yourself. I have framers that I've worked with. I have gallery installers, museum installers. Lauren has also worked at a gallery before. And so if you watch this, we talk about specific options, D-rings, framing or not framing. There's a lot more options than people think. People assume, oh, it's got to be custom framed or it's not eligible. No, I've had a lot of pieces that are not framed and they looked better that way. Framing is not always the way to go. Please join me in the Art Prof Discord right after the stream. I'm going to be in the post live streams channel. If you're not in the Discord, don't you want to be with one of the cool kids? <laughs> and hang out in our 24-7 art party. <laughs> there are many ways to support Art Prof, but first of all, I want to say thank you to everybody for your contributions to the spring raffle. This is so, so important to us because you all know we have no revenue, and so we have a hard time with our budget, and we rely on your donations to keep going. Our budget, the vast majority of it, comes from Patreon, comes from super stickers. I don't know if people are aware of that, but if you don't contribute, we don't have the funds we need to keep the lights on. So thank you everybody from the bottom of my heart 
for helping us because we need all the help we can get. This is truly a community initiative. You are all in this with me. <laughs> but just because the raffle's over doesn't mean you can't support us. You can make a one-time donation on PayPal. You can buy the original artwork in our Etsy shop. You can buy an artist call where you can talk to one of our staff about your specific needs as an artist, because as much as we think our stuff can help you as much as it can, there's a limit because everybody has a specific situation. Look at all the new Patreon supporters because of the raffle. It's so excited, everybody. Anna Weeder, who's live here in the chat, Maureen Amadi, Michelle Hendrickson, Scott Aaron, Simon Dicker. Thank you. Having that, that's incredible. Having five new Patreon supporters, top Patreon supporters, that's a big deal to us because our budget is so sensitive that if we lose $100 in one month, it, it has an impact. We notice that type of thing. So thank you to all those new supporters. And look at this, the Patreon went up. This is the raffle. It went up $185. I still wish it was at $4,000 because it was at $4,000 at one point, but it's dropped. It's back up. And I'm so grateful for that. But we still have a goal. If we had $6,000 a month, I really would feel better. <laughs> so help us out. Remember, our prof has a podcast. It's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. Subscribe to our channel for more art tutorials, critiques, and business tips. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. I'll see you next time. Bye.